Welcome to the Art and Joe podcast. You're listening to Memories, part of a collection of music available at www.bensound.com. I'm Landon Thomasma, owner and operator of Art and Joe, Stillville, Missouri's own little coffee shop. In these files, you'll find a collection of sermons, devotions, stories, and musings, whatever happens to be on my heavily caffeinated mind. I hope you might find something useful somewhere in there. We'll begin with Epiphany Sunday, 2017. This is a sermon I gave at my home church, Steelville Presbyterian Church, on Sunday, January 8, 2017. The reading for the week was Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And the title is Epiphany Epiphanies. This Sunday, we celebrate Epiphany, which actually fell on Friday this year. And the Feast of the Epiphany centers around the visit of the wise men to the baby Jesus. Epiphany comes from the Greek word for appear, and it commemorates the first appearance of Jesus the Messiah to the Gentiles, the nations, as the Old Testament calls them, to us, in other words. Now, the actual reading for this Sunday takes up the theme of Epiphany. It's the passage where Jesus' cousin John baptizes him in the Jordan and the Holy Spirit appears, marking him as God's Son and Messiah. Again, a revelation, or Epiphany, to the world. Epiphany means revelation, and written with a small e, it could refer to any sudden revelation one might have. We have epiphanies all the time, and there are plenty of epiphanies in our classic story of the Epiphany. So, Let's look at it again. This is from Matthew chapter 2. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. Now the first epiphany comes to us at different times in our lives, when we realize we've grown up with a certain image of the wise men, and it doesn't really line up with what's known about them. Now, when I was a kid, I could sing We Three Kings of Orient Are with the best of them. But I didn't know anything about classic English, and it never occurred to me you could switch words around in a sentence. So when I sang We Three Kings of Orient Are, I thought Orient Are was an actual country. And as countries go, Orient Are must have been a huge place, because it was big enough to have three kings in it. Of course... The version I knew also involved exploding rubber cigars, so maybe I had a few extra problems beyond geography to deal with. But it was an epiphany for me to find out there's no such place as Orient are. Now Matthew speaks of wise men from the east, and that's where the Orient are, is. You get the picture. The tradition that they were kings came later on, from a verse in Isaiah chapter 60. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. In fact, the Magi probably weren't kings, but they were definitely power brokers. Magi, or Majusians, were a tribe of priests and astrologers in the region of the Medes and the Persians. They were so influential in the Medo-Persian world that no one could become king of Persia without their backing and approval. They were the repository of study and philosophy in that region, much as the priests and teachers of the law were in Judea. So the wise men who came to Jerusalem weren't kings, but kingmakers. Their studies of astrology and prophecy had brought them to an epiphany. The stars had revealed a milestone in time, 
There was a birth of some significance that had or would take place in the land of the Jews. And being good, responsible kingmakers, they set out for Judea to vet the newcomer. And what they brought to King Herod was another epiphany. And when King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Now, to understand what made Herod and all Jerusalem with him so upset, you have to understand Herod's position. Herod's father, Antipater, came from Edomia, which in the Old Testament was called Edom. Now, in the Maccabean period, between the Old and New Testaments, Edom had finally been conquered by Judah and had become the very last nation to be forcibly converted to Judaism. Antipater, Herod's father, was a supporter of Hyrcanus, who was placed in charge of Judea when the Romans took over the region and made it an official province of Rome. In the upheaval following Julius Caesar's death, Antipater was murdered, and Herod stepped up into his father's shoes. Mark Anthony, following Caesar's death, confirmed Herod's position and gave him the official title of Tetrarch of Galilee. And later on, as a result of more upheaval, Herod was able to take control of the whole of Judea. And then Mark Anthony died, or rather was defeated, by Octavian, otherwise known as Caesar Augustus. We've heard about him. Herod quickly went to visit Octavian to make it clear that as unwavering as his loyalty to Mark Anthony had been, it would be just as unwavering to Octavian. Now, in Jewish terms, that's called chutzpah, or audacity. And the new emperor recognized that chutzpah and appreciated it when he saw it. So he confirmed Herod as ruler of Judea, adding Samaria and the coastline to boot. So this is Herod, king at the pleasure of Rome, for as long as he can deliver. And what does Rome want delivered? Peace and quiet and treasure when they need it. And if Herod can't deliver, he's aware that the Romans would be just as happy to replace him with someone who can. He's also king of a people who don't consider him one of them. Never mind that Herod's father was a pious worshiper of the God of Israel. Never mind that Herod himself is building a magnificent temple to restore the one destroyed by the Syrians. Never mind all of that. He's an Idumean. And the Jews still remember when their kings came from Judah. Heck, the whole reason the Jews allied with the Romans in the first place was to keep foreigners from ruling over them. And now the Romans are the ones who put the foreigners in charge. So when these Medusian wise men, these Medo-Persian kingmakers, come looking for a new king, Herod has good reason to be nervous. And all Jerusalem with him. Because a new king meant a new power struggle. And that always meant that heads would wind up separated from bodies. You know, Herod might be a foreigner, but he kept the order. A new period of upheaval would be just the excuse the Romans would need to sweep in and take over completely, which in fact they did as soon as Herod died. So Herod asks his scholars for information concerning this king that the Magi are asking about. His wise men, the scribes and teachers of the law, Tell him about a passage from the prophet Micah, chapter 5. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, 
are one of the little clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. This is what Herod's advisors relate to him. But to save time, they give him the abbreviated version, the talking points. And you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Now, I don't know about you, but I think they left out a few good points, such as origin from days of old. Feed his flock in the strength of the Lord. He shall be one of peace. And here's the epiphany for King Herod, because one thing is clear. For all his hard work, climbing into power and expanding his power and consolidating his power, a shepherd to Israel he is not. There is no living securely under Herod the Great. And it seems the closer one is to him, the less secure one is. The joke among neighboring nations is that it was safer to be a pig in Herod's stall than an heir in Herod's family. So it's clear to Herod that this prophecy and these Persians who have come seeking it represent a clear personal threat that needs to be dealt with. Herod now exhibits more of the subtlety, the chutzpah, that put him on his throne in the first place and sends the Magi on their way with an earnest request to send word to him as soon as they find the newborn king so that he might join them in paying his respects. And the wise men experience another epiphany, namely that Herod may have something rather less pious in mind than paying his respects. Matthew writes that they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, though he's not really specific as to when they had this dream. It could easily be that what started as a nagging uncertainty about Herod didn't really blossom into full suspicion in the wise men's mind until they'd had a good night's sleep. And we've all experienced that before. Now, though, we come to the point of the revelation they received back in their homes in Persia. Matthew says that the star they had seen at its rising led them to Bethlehem and stopped at the house in Bethlehem where Jesus was. Now, I don't know a lot about astrology, so I can't really comprehend how that's supposed to work. Speaking quite personally, I wonder if Matthew really understood it or whether he was just relating as best as he could what he'd been told. Stars rising and stopping, uh, moving ahead. It might mean something completely different to a Mojusian astrologer than to a reformed Judean tax collector. And something else again to a coffee vendor from Michigan. But what the wise men found in that house in Bethlehem, what the star they had seen at its rising led them to, that was the true epiphany, the appearance of God as human. Paul echoes that in Philippians 2 when he speaks of Jesus being found in appearance as a man. They brought three gifts, so tradition is that there were three of them. But Matthew wasn't concerned with how many, only with what. Matthew identifies the gifts by name that the Magi brought with them, all the way from their homes. Gifts they determined from the outset would be fitting and appropriate to the significant person they sought. Gold, the traditional gift of royalty, rare, beautiful, and impressive symbol. Frankincense, made from the resin of a tree common in the Middle East. 
Mentioned directly in Exodus chapter 30, it was required ingredient of the incense used to accompany the prayers of the high priests of the Jews. Myrrh, also made from resin, but of a different tree, also used in various ceremonies, but related most strongly to funeral rites. King and God and sacrifice, just as the song says. An epiphany for us, for all believers, comes when Jesus appears to us as all three. Herod encountered Jesus as a king, and it filled him with fear, and he lashed out against him. John the Baptist saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus. He encountered Jesus as God, and it still left him with questions. Caiaphas, the high priest, prophesied that the man Jesus would have to die for the safety of all Israel. He encountered Jesus as sacrifice and thought that they were done with him. But Peter, Andrew, Thomas, Mary, Martha, they encountered the full measure of Jesus as king of a new kingdom, as the very person of God among his creation, as the final sacrifice who died and defeated death. And after those first disciples came Silas, Cornelius, Paul, Barnabas, Luke, Timothy, and on and on to the present day. An epiphany is a sudden realization. It's when it all comes together and makes sense. It's when the parts become the greater whole. It may come in an instant. It may come in our sleep. It may creep up slowly and catch us unawares. But the phrase someone coined years ago still holds true. The wise still seek him. May we join with those wise men in seeking him, in preparing our gifts of our wealth, our praise, and our lives, and revel in the revelation of our King and God and sacrifice. Amen. You've been listening to the Art and Joe podcast. You can find Art and Joe at 105 East Main Street in Steelville, Missouri, in the heart of the Ozarks. Just look for the big yellow sign that says, You Need a Cup of Coffee. You can visit our website at artandjoe.ntunes.com. That's art, A-N-D-Joe, at N-T-O-O-N-Z.com. Or drop by our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash artandjoe. Thank you for listening, and God bless.